Since the 2011 revolution that ousted Hosni Mubarak, Egypt's government has been in constant turmoil. At the end of May, the country will see yet another change of power when an election will be held to determine the next president. Could this be the election that finally brings stability to Egypt? Hello and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and today we're joined by Tarek Massoud, an associate professor of public policy here at the Kennedy School, whose book, Counting Islam, Religion, Class, and Elections in Egypt, is out next month. Professor Massoud, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Matt, for having me. So the presidential election is coming up May 26th and 27th. Um, it's shrouded in controversy. Can you take us back a little bit and explain um, what happened to lead up to this election? Sure. Um, well, as your listeners probably know, Egypt uh, overthrew uh, its uh, dictator Hosni Mubarak in February uh, 2011, and uh, after that there were uh, parliamentary elections, which brought the Muslim Brotherhood and uh, other uh, quote-unquote Islamists uh, to uh, a majority in the legislature. After that, there was a presidential election, and the Muslim Brotherhood captured the presidency. A man named Mohamed Morsi was elected president, and after a year in power— uh, was uh, overthrown amid mass protests, uh, but by the Egyptian military. And so ever since uh, July 3rd, 2013, when Morsi was overthrown, uh, the interim government, which was put in place by the military, has been trying or has been saying that they're going to get Egypt back to uh, some semblance of a democratic order and that this would be through uh, elections. Um, initially, the plan was to have parliamentary elections first and then to have presidential elections. But uh, the timetable was shifted, and in fact, now the presidential elections are coming first. And lo and behold, who is running in these presidential elections but the man who overthrew uh, the last uh, president, uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, min former minister of defense, uh, Field Marshal Abdel Fattah Sisi. And by all accounts, it looks like Sisi is going to dominate this uh, election. His main opponent, his only opponent, is a man named Hamdin Sabahi, who had actually run against uh, Morsi in 2012 um, and had placed third in the election. Uh, he's now polling at around 1%. That number may go up, but nobody expects Hamdin Sabahi to be able to beat uh, Abdel Fattah Sisi, around whom there is a kind of cult of personality right now. So that's basically a kind of uh, short answer to your question. So um, it seems like Sisi was originally appointed by Morsi as defense minister. How did they end up becoming politically opposite? Yeah, well, um, that's right. Uh, Sisi was appointed defense minister by Morsi in August of 2012. And uh, initially was uh, believed to be quite loyal to the new president, and uh, people within the Muslim Brotherhood felt that Sisi, who had a kind of reputation for being fairly religious, was a sympathizer with the MB and do, uh, with the MB MB meaning the Muslim Brotherhood. And um, it's important to note that. Uh, uh, Sisi had actually, prior to this, been a liaison between the military and the Muslim Brotherhood. So the Muslim Brothers thought that he was actually quite congenial to their point of view. Um, and I'm not sure that he wasn't. The problem, I think, was that uh, Mohamed Morsi and his allies uh, really systematically alienated uh, huge portions of the uh, non-Islamist Egyptian political uh, spectrum. But more than that, they also seemed to be taking certain decisions 
questions or um, engaging in certain rhetoric that the national security establishment of Egypt uh, found to be uh, worrisome. So, for example, Morsi uh, wanted to cut ties with Syria. Morsi was um, very uh, tolerant of uh, language about waging jihad in Syria. Morsi tried to improve relations with Iran, which worried the Egyptian military because the, you know, the Egyptian military has a close relationship both with the United States and with Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of reasons, I think the Egyptian military was becoming very uh, dissatisfied with Mohamed Morsi and couple that with the decay in the economy, the the um, constant power outages, fuel shortages, and the mass protests that were resulting, it became, I think, the military thought, and Abdel Fattah Sisi thought it was politically untenable to continue supporting Morsi, uh, and so that they had to make a, a decision to, to remove him. Now, coming from a dictatorship under Mubarak, it seems interesting that now a military figure is actually, you know, the popular, uh, you know, potential president after after this month. How is it that the Egyptian public is, you know, supporting what could, you know, on, on its face looks like a uh, potential replacement dictator? Yeah, so it looks more like continuity than change. Right. I think this is a really great question. There's a lot of um, things that we've got to keep in mind. Remember when Mubarak was overthrown in 2011, what happened? Uh, was uh, was his uh, was the presidency assumed by civilians? No, power was assumed by the military, and Egyptians were very happy with that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that uh, one thing that we have to remember is that the 2011 revolution for large numbers of Egyptians was not really about unseating the military. It wasn't really driven by a belief that the military was somehow illegitimately sitting atop the Egyptian political pyramid. I think lots of Egyptians are fine with that and happy with their military. So it's not surprising to me that they support Sisi, especially since they believe that Sisi took a very dramatic, necessary corrective action by removing Morsi. Mm -hmm. Sisi has a new campaign ad that uh, was leaked uh, in one of the big Egyptian newspapers, and you can view it online. And Sisi doesn't appear in it at all, but the basic two points of this uh, campaign ad are that Sisi is a, a man of the people uh, who is religious, and the second point is that he's a strong man and we need a strong man at this time. And I think, you know, you can't underestimate the yearning of large numbers of Egyptian people who have experienced the period after the revolution as a period of uncertainty, as a period of economic uh, crisis and chaos. Uh, you can't underestimate their yearning for um, some stability and their hope that this stability will come in the form of a strong man like Abdel Fattah Sisi. I should also note, just for your listeners who don't know, Sisi did, of course, resign his positions within the military, so he is now technically a civilian. So it seems like uh, there's been a... Uh when we look back on the overthrow of Morsi, a lot of people in the West see that as a, you know, overthrowing of a religious um, government. Um, but there were powerful economic forces at play. Can you go in? Is, is that actually, I mean, which one was really responsible for the ouster? Yeah, this is a very good question. So for some people, uh, some people have commented that what we saw on July 3rd, 2013, with the overthrow of Morsi was absolutely a popular repudiation of political Islam, the idea that religion and politics should be mixed. Um, 
And I'm not necessarily sure that that's true. Uh, in fact, I think there's lots of evidence that it's not true. For example, the campaign ad that I just mentioned of Abdel Fattah Sisi has this really um, interesting portion of it where a friend of Abdel Fattah Sisi's is speaking about what a great man Sisi is, and he pulls out this little sheet of paper, and he says, this is a sheet of paper written in Abdel Fattah Sisi's own hand, and it has instructions on what to do if, you know, the world gets you down. And it's all like, you know, recite this religious phrase, you know, 999,000 times and do this and do that. It's all religious and prayer and things uh -huh. like that. So I think the Egyptian people are generally religious people and the idea that their leader should be religious is something that they are, um, they, they want. And uh, more broadly, the idea that, um, Islamic law, the Sharia, should have some place in the nation's laws. I think this is something that's highly legitimate, and pretty much everybody in Egypt accepts. So I don't think that the what, overthrow. What do you mean by highly legitimate? The idea in, in the popular popular consciousness. Or? Yes, the, okay. in the popular yeah. consciousness, mm -hmm. exactly. It's perceived as something that is good. Yeah, um, and so it's not uh, it's not surprising to me that after Morsi was overthrown, for example, and the interim government put out a interim constitution. It had all of the religious talk that people, uh, in, at least here in the West, said mm -hmm. was uh, in Morsi's constitution. It still has the language about Sharia uh, in their new constitution. So my feeling is that uh, it really wasn't so much a repudiation of political Islam as it was a repudiation of Morsi and his government and its failures, a recognition of its failures to really uh, resolve Egypt's economic uh, problems. Uh, Egypt has a population that is about 15% lives on less than uh, $2 a day uh, in current dollars. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, it's experienced a dramatic uh, dwindling of its foreign reserves, which are uh, necessary for it to import the wheat that it uses to uh, feed its people subsidized bread. So Egypt's uh, economy is, um, is, it has never really recovered from the uh, from the revolution, and uh, I think in part that's why there was so much dissatisfaction with Morsi. The question is, will Abdel Fattah Sisi be able to rectify the problems that Morsi was not able to rectify? Right. And on one hand, look, he does have the state behind him in a way that Morsi never did, mm -hmm. so maybe he will be able to at least make policy without having to worry about foot-dragging by elements of the state. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think the depth of Egypt's problems is so uh, large that um, that even Sisi will have some difficulty. So, do you think it's possible that there can be any kind of uh, stasis or at least uh, you know settling in the Egyptian polity um, without those kind of economic reforms? Um, I'm not sure. So, I think that the uh, the Egyptian government now does have uh, can count on support from uh, allies such as Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, um, which it could which Morsi's government couldn't. And uh, when I talk about support, I mean uh, financial support. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that with, even without sort of deep structural economic reform, which absolutely is necessary, but at the same time is very costly in the short term. Um, it's possible that the assistance of these uh, allies uh, will help smooth things over uh, in the coming period. And remember, uh, the Egyptian state has basically been uh, inundating its people with a lot of uh, messages about how the primary threat to the nation is a terrorist threat from the Muslim Brotherhood and its allies. 
And so it remains to be seen whether people will tolerate a continued deterioration of the economic situation because they feel uh, the primary goal right now is to fight the Muslim Brotherhood. So it's in, it seems that since Morsi was ousted, um, we've seen a uh, move by the interim government to essentially criminalize the Mus- Muslim Brotherhood, um, and that's resulted in you know scores and scores, hundreds of folks being um, sentenced to death uh, by mass trial. Um, a lot of you know really things that you don't associate with democratic go- government. Um, are these things being tolerated in Egypt? Why why aren't people more angry about this? Well, I think that uh, one of the reasons people aren't more angry, uh, I mean, certainly some people are very angry, supporters of the Muslim Brotherhood, the human rights community, um, but I think the maybe the broader Egyptian public is less angry about it because they really do believe that the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, particularly now, is engaged in a kind of battle against the state uh, and against the institutions of the state and therefore need to be punished severely. Um, and there have, after all, been uh, police officers who have been killed in in, uh, in clashes with supporters of the president. There's been burning of churches, burning of police stations. So uh, there are uh, reasons for people to believe that the Muslim Brotherhood needs to be uh, needs to be suppressed. Um, at the same time, it's important to note uh, these trials. Uh, so you're speaking specifically of a of a ruling of that 539 uh, Muslim brothers were sentenced to death for the killing of one police officer. And there is currently that decision is actually on being appealed. And I think I just read this morning that it was being appealed by the prosecutor. In other words, that part of the Egyptian judicial apparatus that brought this case is actually not happy with the outcome. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is important to note that it's the judiciary that is actually makes these kinds of decisions. It's not as if the military uh, made this call. Um, and I think, in fact, it's a kind of as you know, as as evidenced by your question, it's actually kind of a PR disaster for the Egyptian military because it gives the lie to their claim that they're restoring democracy in Egypt. So I think they just as well prefer that these kinds of things didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see in the end uh, what actually ends up uh, taking place, but. My view is that the uh, the death sentences are evidence of just how much the Egyptian state in all of its different parts, not all of which work together all of the time, mm-hmm. uh, but how much they view the Muslim Brotherhood as threatening to the coherence of the, the, the national entity known as Egypt. Mm-hmm. Now, a fair portion of the population does uh, have some affinity with the Muslim Brotherhood. It was the only party that really uh, had organization before even Mubarak was ousted. Um, but now, without it, it's not participating really in this election. Uh, many of its, uh, you know, associated parties, parties that are have Islamist um, intentions, uh, they are, you know, in exile and they're essentially not participating in the election at all. Um, is the election valid with without their participation? I mean, we're, we're talking about a sizable portion of the of the voting populace, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, for an election to be really be to really be free and fair, obviously everybody uh, who um, wants to participate or who can credibly participate should be allowed to participate, and that's mm-hmm. clearly not the case in Egypt. So, by our existing metrics of whether elections are meaningful or not, then we would have to conclude that this case is not a meaningful one. Um, at the same time, um, um, you know, 
is the Muslim Brotherhood likely to continue to uh, boycott the Egyptian uh, political system, or will they eventually come around to uh, reconciling themselves with what happened on July 3rd and trying to make some uh, accommodations within the existing system? I think that's an open question, and I think now we're starting to hear some rumblings about some reconciliation between the state and the Muslim Brotherhood where members of the Muslim Brotherhood who are not implicated in crimes against the state will be allowed to continue to participate in politics. And I think that thinking long term, that has to be the answer in Egypt, that in other words, um, you can't exclude uh, the Muslim Brotherhood or any other political force from the political arena, that Mm -hmm. if Egypt is going to get back to some kind of normalcy, it's going to be through inclusion. It's going to be through every side recognizing that they're better off playing within the system than playing without it. And that's going to require the Muslim Brotherhood to do some difficult calculations, but it's also going to require the new regime to conclude that the Muslim Brotherhood is not, uh, that the Muslim Brotherhood's participation is not, uh, does not constitute an existential threat to them. And so mm-hmm. it's possible that once Sisi wins this election, if he wins it by a landslide, he may feel that he is strong enough to uh, hold out an olive branch to the Muslim Brotherhood and allow them um, to uh, participate. So presuming Sisi does win, uh, do you expect some stability to actually take place in the short and long term? I'm. I think so. I think yeah. that. Uh, I think certainly the um, Muslim Brotherhood and its supporters will not stop in their uh, protests against uh, the interim government. And I should note that there are massive uh, and continuing protests almost every day in Egypt in universities Mm -hmm. where I think students are not reconciled to what happened on July 3rd, 2013. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that I don't see uh, ending. Uh, However, I do think that uh, once Sisi becomes the president, the entire security apparatus will line up behind him. Uh, The the support of the people for the president, coupled with his uh, deployment of coercion, uh, and maybe even coupled with uh, a little olive branch to the Islamists, will probably suggest in the short term that uh, things will will quiet down a little bit. But at the same time, I could see the opposite happening. Right? Mm-hmm. I could see, you know, Sisi getting elected and a big segment of the Islamist support base getting further radicalized and thinking that the only way to bring changes through violent revolution. All of which is to say, I, I really don't know the answer to the question. <laughs> well, uh, Professor Tarek Masood, thank you so much for being on PolicyCast today. Thank you, Matt, for your great questions. You've been listening to HKS PolicyCast, a production of Harvard Kennedy School. Hear more interviews at hks.harvard.edu policycast. And join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag policycast. Policycast.